Well, if that was it for the end of the Mike Zimmer era in Minnesota, I think he went out his way, perhaps. Is that the best way to put it, you guys? Uh, avoiding a 10-loss season, um, not throwing the ball at the end of the game when the entire stadium was clamoring for it to the point where they booed as the Vikings kneeled the clock out, uh, and then sort of uh, not not tossing any bouquets to the media on his way out the door. Yeah, I'd say it's about his way. Jim, was I off? You you gave me a look like that wasn't the right way to frame that. No, no. I was just thinking you made me think, and that was very, very painful for me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to in real time and having trouble. Uh, I, I think, listen, winning, beating a divisional opponent, winning at home, beating a young offensive uh, coach who used to be considered a genius. I think all those things were exactly the way Zimmer would have wanted them. I think he would have liked it if his play, defense played a little bit better. Yeah, certainly didn't go out the way they wanted to defensively because this Vikings defense was ranked 31st, I believe, in the league entering this last game. Um, really marked a two-year precipitous drop for this group after I think it was five straight years in the top ten of points allowed. Uh, one of the franchise's best stretches. And Mike Zimmer ends it by defiantly saying, uh, and this is just a window, I think, into how he coaches. I don't care about records. I don't care that Justin Jefferson was 17 yards away. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and kneel at the end of the game there. They did try to throw a screen there that looked like it didn't work. Yep. Uh, one play there, last-ditch effort. But, Ben, I don't think the record so much reflects much on Zimmer. It's just the decision reflects on how he went about this job. And if this is it for Mike Zimmer, that was pretty on par. Yeah, it was. I mean, there was a lot of things about that. I mean, he said it all week. They were not going to do anything different in this last game, and they really didn't. I mean, there were good, bad, or or otherwise, there were a lot of things about this that felt very on brand for the 2021 Vikings. I mean, the, the fact that Justin Jefferson needed a hair-on-fire second half to even get close to that record is probably fitting because – there are many, many moments throughout the season that you can go back and say, well, uh, if he had been targeted at all in that Baltimore game or you know, a lot of the other ones in the middle of the season against Dallas, he's probably not even going into the last couple drives of that game with that record in question. He's probably already got it. But overall, the brand of offense they played, the frustration that that sometimes sowed within players on the team and – the overall approach, yeah, it was it was very um, very on brand. Yeah, Jim, where do you think the Vikings go from here? Well, my guess is they definitely fire Mike Zimmer. The real question among most of us is: Do they fire Zimmer and Spielman, or do they fire Spielman? Fire Zimmer, keep Spielman? Do they fire Zimmer and give Spielman some kind of weird cushy job where he can keep he can just screw up the entire operation anonymously? Um, I think if you're going to fire Zimmer, you should fire Spielman too. I think it should be a clean break. Uh, I think, and I, I do think it's time to move on from Zimmer. And I hold Spielman responsible for a lot of the failures of the last two to four years. So I think they should make a clean break and move on from both. Yeah, and Ben, what do you think? In terms of what I think they should no, do, or sorry, what they will what, do? Yeah, what you've heard, just in terms of what, what, where, where do the Vikings go from here? Well, yeah, I think Zimmer is gone. I think you know that's been the the steam around the around the team for the last week. Sorry for the rhyme there. Didn't mean to sound like Dr. Seuss. But, I, yeah, I think Zimmer's gone, and I think the way he's gone about the week suggests that he knows it. I mean, the way he's handled a lot of this week, some of the, even some of the things he talked about today with taking a picture with Andre Patterson and Adam Zimmer, 
talking to the team last night, and he tried to play those things as well. It's still, you know, we haven't done it, so let's just do it today. Well, yeah, you may not have another chance. So I think he's gone, and the question is going to be, do they get rid of Rick Spielman or do they keep him in some capacity? I mean, there's been this this idea tossed out this week of kind of what we talked about, whether he either gets a promotion, maybe to team president, or some kind of senior advisor role that maybe isn't directly in charge of things. I was talking to some people tonight that said, well, you could do that, but it would be kind of a strange way to go about it, and it would you know, create this weird power structure again, which is what they try to get out of when they gave Rick Spielman the GM title. So a couple of people I talked to tonight weren't as keen on that idea as has been talked about, but I have also talked to people earlier this week thinking that they could go this route. The big question with the Wilfs is – do they trust themselves to find what's next if they make a clean break? I think that has played in Rick Spielman's favor for a long time, this idea of, hey, you can trust me. I'm here every day. The Wilfs are not in Minnesota. They are not football people per se. Now you own a team for 16 years. I think you get some of that. But Spielman has been able to say, let me run the show. I can be your eyes and ears on a daily basis. You can trust me, and we'll be fine. So – if he stays, I think it's as much based on that as any of the success they've had lately because the success they've had has been pretty underwhelming. And uh, a lot of GMs in that spot would lose their jobs. But if he's still here, I think it's that trust that the Wolves have in him that is what keeps him here. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo, December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. The big question is, can Bill Parcells be the coach and the GM? <laughs> the big tuna. Bigger tuna. Well. <laughs> Jim, you remember the triangle of authority oh with my the God, Vikings? Yes. <laughs> it was a great couple months. <laughs> Are they be, would they be going back to that in this kind of what sounds potentially like if they were to elevate almost Spielman out of it, almost kind of fail him upward in the organization? That would be the problem. Uh, you'd be saying, hey, uh, the, the exact record that got – the coach you hired, fired, has earned you some kind of a cushy promotion. That's bad for your organization. Well, I mean, you don't have to be in football to understand organizational dynamics. Uh, if you're in an organization, you see somebody fail upward. Peter Principle, I believe, is the term. Yeah, it's terrible for it's terrible for morale. It's terrible for your organization. You end up spending a lot of money on somebody who isn't doing that much. Um, and Spielman's had a lot of misses. We know what the hits are, including Justin Jefferson. Nice job. But there have been too many misses at too many key positions, quarterback, offensive line, defensive backs. He and Zimmer failed there together. Uh, I think make it a clean break. And if and it's not just it's not just for the organizational reasons I just mentioned, but also do you want Rick Spielman hiring the next general manager? Uh, I don't think I wouldn't want to. Yeah, I don't really understand that from the Wilfs perspective, but his embedded himself quite a bit with this ownership group, having been here since 2006. He has, yes. yep. With the team, I believe he was heading personnel uh, before he took over that GM title from that triangle of authority in 2012 as they tried to align their, their organizational chart a little bit better. Um, I would have to imagine, Ben, 
this what you heard the pushback today from like eh, I don't know if that's going to happen with Rick in terms of him getting failing upward. I would have to imagine that stems from the Wolves realizing we've been here before, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's had an awfully long time to try to show that. I mean, 10 years as a general manager with 100% control of the roster is a really long time in the NFL. And you see GMs probably hang around longer than coaches. But 10 years with two playoff wins is a heck of a long time to try to get it right. And the thing is, we are 10 years past the point where he picked Christian Ponder. Now, he wasn't the GM at that point, but I don't think anybody has any illusions about who was running the draft. So the inability to get the quarterback position right consistently, and you say, well, 10 years, ten. if you get it right, you may still have the same quarterback. If you'd been right on the quarterback the first time, that person may still be here. It, the, the beauty of that spot is if you get it right, you don't have to worry about it for a long time. And the, the reason the Green Bay Packers are where they are is two decisions that have gotten you through 30 years. So – if you get that right, you deserve the security because then you get branded as a genius and you only have to hit it right one time. He's had four or five swings at it and has not been able to get it to the point where you don't worry about it. So, I mean, a lot of those things would be the reasons you'd say that it's time. But this relationship he has, I think if, if he stays, that is the reason for it. And it's the Wilfs. He has developed a good relationship with Andrew Miller, the COO, who started last year and actually negotiated two years ago and negotiated Spielman's last contract. From what I understand, they've developed a very good working relationship. So there is some thought that the comfort and the stability that that all provides for an ownership group that has tried to be patient after getting started and firing Mike Tice a year into the thing, they've, they've kind of drifted towards patience. That may play in his favor. Let's talk a little bit more about Zimmer because – Whatever happens moving forward, it's going to change quickly. What we might say gets outdated quickly, depending on what happens. But with Zimmer, that seems like more of the foregone. outdated by the time you're listening True. to this. <laughs> this might be a, a foregone conclusion with Mike Zimmer, though, who has spoken like a man on his way out for a few weeks now. Really, I thought ever since the end of that Rams game, he just seemed out of answers and even stopped with the fighting tropes that, that he'd been trotting out there. But um, I thought it was interesting that through the lens of the players about Zimmer, we heard Anthony Barr uh, defend him as zealously as Anthony Barr does, but he was, he was pretty candid in his words and saying that I feel like there's parallels to myself and Mike Zimmer in terms of being underappreciated in this organization by, uh, or excuse me, by fans, not so much the organization. Defenders, I think, will have a lot of good things to say about Mike Zimmer. I don't know if that's the case for many other people that don't play defense in the Minnesota Vikings. Or call defensive plays. Or call defensive plays, certainly. Yes, with his, his son referencing his kid calling plays, Adam Zimmer calling plays. I'm referencing the number of offensive coordinators oh, who have gone sorry. through here, yes. and if you injected them with truth serum, what they would say. I I could tell you at least a couple of them would have some very interesting things to say. Yeah, Justin Jefferson just repeatedly kept saying it is what it is about Mike Zimmer's job status. Kirk Cousins just said you know, he likes Zim. And, but this is a guy who four years into his relationship with Mike finally was sitting down with him um, weekly. So, Jim, to me, that says everything about Zim, the defensive coordinator, and Zim, the head coach, as far as what role he should probably be in. Right. Zim needed to pair himself with the right offensive coach. There was some promise with Norv Turner, although I don't know what Norv's upside really was. He knew how to run an, off, an offense. I don't know if he's ever going to run a championship offense without Emmett Smith as his featured player. Um, and, like, three Hall of Famers on the offensive line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Pat Shermer probably had the best – run here as an offensive coordinator and he overachieved he 
worked with Case Keenum and Jarek McKinnon and got into an NFC title game. He kind of maxed out what that offense could do. He brought Adam Thielen along, and he was able to do it within the parameters that Zimmer wanted, which is, hey, we are going to run the ball, and then we'll move the sticks. Uh, Zimmer did, I think, place governors on this offense because, you know, when you're the offense coordinator, you know the head coach wants you to run the ball a certain amount, wants you to run the ball in certain situations. It does tie your hands. And from what the Vikings have said and from what players have said publicly and privately, Zimmer was more involved in the offense this year than he ever has been. And the offense is more erratic this year than probably it ever has. But maybe outside of 2018, when they obviously had a lot of ups and downs and a lot of pulling of the tug of war there on what they were going to do with Flippo and him. But um, in general, I just think you see this Vikings offense and Zimmer trying to grab the reins of it, trying to be more of that overall coach. Adam Zimmer, his son and the linebackers coach, gave an impassioned defense of Mike earlier this week by saying uh, he's been in the meetings, he's been more involved than ever. That's why this is his best year. And I would argue that that's evidence why it's not, because once he influenced himself more on this situation, you have Clint Kubiak, who just seems like he was neutered up there. You've So three of the last four coordinators have been younger play callers. And, and really, three of the last four coordinators have been first-time play callers. John DiFilippo, Kevin Stefanski, and Clint Kubiak. In the two cases where I would argue it did not work, there was not the older kind of Obi-Wan type figure that either can be kind of the bridge between Mike Zimmer and the offensive coordinator or kind of the person for the offensive coordinator to bounce things off of. And maybe Rick Dennison played something of that role this year. We're not entirely sure because we didn't really hear a lot about what Rick Dennison ended up doing after he got reassigned when he wouldn't get the COVID vaccine. But that certainly was an issue with John DiFilippo after Tony Sperano died. I think that was a lot of the reason Kevin Stefanski brought Gary Kubiak in was to have that sort of – because Kevin Stefanski, he was not stupid. He understood the the dynamics that he'd have to navigate. And I think Clint Kubiak probably not having quite as much of that person to take some of his ideas up to Mike Zimmer might have hurt him a little bit. Yeah, I know. I can add a little context to that. And it is interesting because there's that dynamic with Zimmer and the young offensive mind where it seemed to go so much better when he had that intermediary. Um Phil Rauscher had told me at the beginning of the year that Rick Dennison's role on this team was zero with the players. It was only as a coaching consultant, and there, uh, there was only one voice in the O-line room, and that was Zimmer's choice, and that was to make Phil Rauscher that guy. So they basically took Rick Dennison out of the picture. Um, Dennison was just a consultant for game planning. He was not a kind of guy who was um, doing a whole lot in terms of uh, working with the players and being that guy who could maybe, I don't know, smooth things over between Mike and a 34-year-old. <laughs> first-time coordinator yeah and it's a tough spot for a 34 year old to come in you know everybody's coaching for their job you're effectively coaching for yours and you may have things you want to do but you know that the head coach is going to want things done a certain way I mean even today looking at it you know Clint Kubiak if there was going to be any effort to say I'm going to let it all hang out and empty things out that we've had in the playbook or things that I may want to put on tape that I can do none of that it was it was the same approach as usual and, you know, it, whether that's loyalty or whether that's because there was nothing else there, it's hard to say. But Or maybe it's what he, he thinks they should be doing. But uh, it's, it's hard to look at it and say that all of it 
worked exactly as it should. It's hard to give them the benefit of the doubt on some of these things, knowing what we know. Yeah, yeah, we could go at length about that offense. And I think it's interesting because at the beginning of the year, um, Clint Kubiak talked a lot about, in my dealings with him, about um, simplicity, about the offense being really good at what they do. Kevin Stefanski did a lot of that with with the Vikings in 2019. Um, But it just seemed to be the downfall a little bit here, where it's like too predictable, a little too. We heard the word predictable a lot with the 2021 Vikings offense coming from their own coaches. So whether it was Clint, whether it was Mike, there was just failures across the board. Guys, before we break for this podcast, let's talk quick about what could be Anthony Barr's last game here for the Vikings. Obviously played eight years here. Um, He's called it bittersweet in ending here in Minnesota. He's expecting that this could be it because he negotiated to be a free agent in March. He'll be 30 in March, and it seems like the natural time for it to come to an end here in Minnesota. Jim, what do you think about Barr's tenure in Minnesota, and I guess, was it a success in your mind? Boy, it's such a high draft choice, uh, and there were so many great players who went behind him. It's hard to Any talk. names come to mind? Uh, maybe a couple. Uh, maybe a couple first names. Defensive tackle? The same name. Uh, so I can't, like, give him an A-plus as a draftee or a player. Uh, also, if to me, if you're going to draft somebody that high at that position – and reward them financially, I want to see splash plays. We did see some splash plays this last month. Uh, He had the two interceptions against the Rams. He had two sacks a day. He did make some plays. But to me, that has to be there consistently. He has to be an impact player. I think – so the good thing about Barr is he gets praised for the right reasons. Good human being, very smart player, uh, nice nice combination of size and speed, uh, called the plays, you know, fit in well – but to me, to justify that pick and to justify the contracts, I got to see sacks and interceptions. We just didn't often see those. Ben, you told me about an uh, incentive in Barr's contract that that floored me. I, yeah. I couldn't even believe. Could you uh, fill us in on what that was? I believe it was a million dollars if he got to ten sacks in a season. Which oh, I thought uh, you meant a career. Uh, no, I mean that would be closer. I, the reason – so I looked this up last night, and it, he's got ones in there for like 10, 12, and 14 sacks. The only reasons I can think that that would be in there is – this is the best theory I have, and I don't know this for sure, but this would be the best theory I have, that he had something like that in his deal with the Jets that he had agreed to before he came back to the Vikings, and then the Vikings said, okay, sure, we'll throw that in there. Sure, we'll give you that incentive. We're not going to use you that way. But it sort of gives you a window into – the conundrum that is Anthony Barr because he was a 3-4 linebacker. He even talked about it today. He was a 3-4 linebacker in college. Everybody thought he was going to be a pass rusher in the NFL, and the Vikings say, we're going to take you and turn you into an off-ball defender that we're going to use to blitz sometimes, but not a lot. The problem with that is linebackers in this day and age are not split into 3-4 and 4-3 linebackers for how they get paid, certainly for how those fifth-year options work. So Barr made a lot of money based off of that fifth-year option, which then led to the contract because he's a linebacker. And the players that get paid at that position that drive the salaries up are the three, four guys that get a ton of sacks that are pass rushers. So that put him in a weird spot, and I think anytime you have a contract like that, it changes how a player is viewed. The Vikings did it thinking we can take a guy that's going to be a little bit of an odd fit, but he's going to be so valuable to us and we know so well what we're going to do with him that he'll be worth the money. 
and you just have to trust us on it. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of a perfect emblem for this whole thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. He's he's just a tweener for the position for the NFL. Like he's one of those guys that just does not fit. He doesn't fit being that three four edge rusher. They tried to do that. They tried to spread the front out. They tried to go five six wide sometimes and put him on that edge. And it didn't work out. We watched summer after summer. He'd work with the defensive line, try to get the pass rushing drills down, and it would not come to fruition in terms of sacks. I was also floored, big day for me being floored, of seeing that he had 17 and a half sacks. Chad Greenway has more in his Vikings career than Anthony Barr at 18, barely, but more. Yeah, and would you say like 60 more games? But he's, and he's also played 60 more games than Barr with the Vikings. A guy that was not expected to be a pass rusher. Anthony Barr, whether it's coming off the edge or in that double leg at blitz, was expected to be a pass rusher. And they would probably point to the number of sacks that other people got because the blocking scheme was worried about Barr. Okay. You think a few more of those would happen in time if if he was going to be uh, worth the considerable investment they made. Yeah, and I thought it was a fitting end that Barr likened himself to Zimmer and saying that there's a lot of the intangible stuff that people do not appreciate about both of us and you know i want intangibles in my long snapper and in my uh place kick holder i don't want intangibles in my highly paid players i want it to be very obvious why you're getting paid you usually get paid for tangible results and that's a lot of where this probably ends up is that it was a nice run they changed the defense a lot from what it was at the end of the leslie frazier era that you had some great moments but the results did not match what the Vikings themselves would talk about their potential as being. There were so many times where they would kind of talk about it as we know how to win. We've proven that we have a winning culture. We're one of the better organizations in the NFL. You have all these guys that want to come back here and play for us a second time or stay here because we are a premier organization. The results on the field, the things that you actually count, the things that you pay people for, do not match up to that. And that's why we are here talking about the fact that this run could possibly be over. For what might be one last time, Mike, take us off. Maybe you should get off the podcast.